I think everybody needs to keep their eyes open and not have blinders and always look at other asset classes. The multifamily is one of them that I think is a worthwhile thing to look at. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Our guest, Tom Burns, is back with us again today. Entrepreneur, retired orthopedic surgeon, physician, a physician for the United States ski team. Also been in real estate 25 years, physician for 30 years. He's done a lot of things in real estate. And I hope that you listened yesterday and got more of his background and also Just diving into that transition from physician to real estate, how he did them both at the same time. I know you learned a lot from him yesterday. Today, we're going to dive in more into multifamily, specifically why multifamily and how he feels about the economy and, and how that's changing, maybe how they are looking at deals and even how he looks at investing passively. We talked about being prepared for the downturn, which you know I like to ask about if you've been listening to the show. How are other people being you know prepared? And then I compare obviously what you know what we're doing also. But but I like to know how passive investors and other operators are ensuring that they're prepared for a recession. And you're gonna hear that from Tom today. Tom, welcome back to the show. Honored to have you back and and, and very grateful for your time. I know yesterday you know, we dove into you know your background and, and getting started in real estate as a physician and and really the the training that took place where you observed other people that man, you thought you wanted to be that, but you discovered pretty quickly maybe that wasn't the path that was best for you and your family as a whole. I'm so grateful just for your perspective on family versus making another dollar because that's not typical. I'm learning anyway. And so I just appreciate that and just you being transparent and real about that. So I encourage the listeners to go back and listen to yesterday's shows. You're going to learn a lot about Tom. But I want us to dive in today and really more about multifamily, more about your business, Tom, and you know, focusing in on, on multifamily and how you grew in this subject or in this asset class specifically. But let's dive in there. You bet. You bet. I'm all yours. Let's do that. Multifamily. I mean, why multifamily, Tom? I think you're in a number of things, right? Or you've invested in lots of different things, very experienced investor. But why multifamily specifically? Or maybe you like some other asset classes just as much? Yeah. So it's, my, my story is long and I'll just keep it short. So, I, you know, as, as we talked about before, I started with, you know, single student condos that grew into complexes, bought other things at the present at the time. I didn't care what I bought, to be honest with you. I just wanted it to be an asset that produced some kind of passive income. So most of the time that was real estate. Sometimes it wasn't. As you're in the market, you know, you start developing partners. And I actually went and got got a mentor because I felt that I'd hit a ceiling. And this relates to what, what I owned and what I bought. I'd hit a ceiling. I wanted to learn. This guy was a developer. We were friends. And I worked for him for 18 months for right. free doing while I was a doctor, canceling afternoon office, again, foregoing more income so that I could learn. And I didn't get paid. We just did, did a lot of land deals, build the suits, some bank franchises, things like that. But out of that came a deal where he and I built a very large, hundred, pretty large, 155,000 square foot medical office complex. So he and I own that to this day. That was one thing. And what happens, though, is when you're in the market buying condos, you're, you're building an office complex. People start to realize you're there. They want to partner. And over time, I met another gentleman that we really meshed well together. We knew each other for four or five years. He had met me. I was actually speaking in another state. He met me at the break and they moved to Austin. We became friends. He's my current partner. So we decided back back in the mid 2000s, we thought that he had expertise in retail, land development, things like that. I had expertise in 
you know, manufactured homes, office, office development, student condos, things like that. Bad experience with multifamily that I didn't know what I was doing. We rolled all that together and we felt that we should focus. And we thought that multifamily built or bought right, did well through recessions, was a good product. And so we started to focus on that. So that whole story is what brought us to multifamily. And so we developed our first project started in 2008 and nine. And so that was, which as everybody knows, maybe not the best time in the world to start, but we had to keep going. So we started there and that's why, that's why we have, we have stuck with multifamily. We enjoy it. It does a good job during recessions. You build it or buy it right. And we've gotten pretty good at it by now. I was going to ask about mentorship or finding somebody that's been doing this, you know, that's ahead of you. I encourage that often on the show as well. I did that. And I was, I was hesitant in the beginning. I remember my, and I've shared this on the show numerous times, but my first mentor, was like twelve and a half thousand dollars And at the time, my wife and I was like, oh my goodness, you know, should we spend, <laughs> can we do this more money we spent on anything, you know, in our lives at that time, you know, so should we do this? But it was the best twelve and a half grand we've ever spent, you know, and now, you know, I've had numerous mentors and so many aspects of my life and just can't imagine not doing it that way, not, you know, being connected, right, you know, to these people who are ahead of me and learning, right, and bypassing right. many downfalls, you know, that I know would have happened otherwise. So speak to, you know, in working 18 months for free, I, I just... I always love highlighting that because I get so much resistance from people when I when I suggest something like that. It's like, you know, you were a physician. You could have been working those hours making a very good income, right? But you saw the long-term picture here, right? You saw the long-term vision of learning and the return on that education, right? right. And so for 18 months, and so at that, you know, at 18 months, is that when you all partnered and, and you all created, sounds like maybe more of a partnership moving forward versus a mentor-mentee type relationship? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he, he wasn't charging me because he first looked at me and goes, you don't need this. You're a rich doctor. And I said, teach me anyway. And so while I didn't pay him, I still paid for it. I've, I didn't make income because I was working with him. But yeah, it, it became and it was just his luck or whatever. Something just came to us. It was actually his dressmaker's wife, his dress, his mother's dressmaker or something, you know, had had a piece of land she couldn't, didn't know what to do with. So yeah, we became partners and we each contributed our, our expertise. And I learned a ton from him during that process. You know, I learned how to develop an office complex, not just an office building. We got like eight buildings. And so you hit it right on the head. You talked about mentors, you know, letting you skip the mistakes and speed through all the difficulties. There's, although mistakes are great teachers, great and mistakes are awesome teachers. It's a lot more fun to learn from somebody else's mistake. It hurts a lot less. So, yeah, it was, you really want to work, you want to learn from, work from, get the mindset of somebody that's been where, that is, has been where you want to go. It's always an investment that pays multiple times the investment that you make. It's not a cost, it's an investment. And so I've had so many mentors, some of them unofficial, some official. Whitney, I spend a quarter of a million dollars on coaching masterminds and mentors each year myself. So you know, the numbers just rise as you, I probably just need more help now. That's probably why I'm spending so much, but can't beat having a mentor. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that because I think it makes it real 
to those that are listening. Yeah, you know, I talked about that 12,500, and I also have many mentors who are unofficial as well. I feel like I couldn't make it without. Yeah, I'm also spending more than most people's annual salary now on mentorships and different people that are, you know, helping us as a company. And and so couldn't recommend it enough. I know you are in a number of types of investment, short-term, long-term. How do you look at that for your portfolio now? You know, short-term, long-term, and maybe even development or other types of investments? Yeah, you bet. So, you know, my focus was pretty narrow when I started. I go back to Robert Kiyosaki's book. He has the income statement and balance sheet. He has just little boxes, right? Income box, expense box, and then asset liabilities. My whole business plan was to put stuff in the asset box because it created income. And I really focused on it. Very much a cash flow guy. I, I passed over, you know, capital gains type mechanisms. But how that worked for me was it took me longer. It was a fairly logarithmic change when, you know, the, the law of compounding starts to work over time. But eventually, I had enough passive income to cover my expenses. Kept working as a doc because it was fun. Over time, then I had the, the freedom to choose what I wanted to do. And so then you can you can keep hitting singles like that, but you can also, you know, you can swing for the fences once in a while or you can try to hit a double. So I would look at some short-term options. I did some lending for builders that needed that lot sales, things like that. Some capital gains plays that some don't make it, Right. You know, you do some you do some early stage investment. Some don't make it. Some do. But I had the freedom to if that money was going to get lost, I had the passive income that was going to cover that. So I have expanded a bit. Um, certainly it's not all in real estate. It's not all cash flow. And it is a combination of short term and long term. Also, as you get seasoned, I still think I'm going to I'm going to live to 100 and something. So as you get a little more seasoned, your time horizons do shrink a little bit. But I keep, I try to keep it all pretty balanced. Yeah, it's incredible. And my grandfather just passed a few weeks ago. He's 102 years old and still lived at home. And so, you, you know, it's incredible. It's like he had a whole nother lifetime than most people, the more we think about it. But absolutely, absolutely. So it's incredible. Well, speak to, you know, do you feel like multifamily is still a good inflation hedge? Maybe you can speak to the current economic crisis and how you feel about that. We can dive into that a little bit. Yeah, you bet. I'm, I always try not to be a homer, you know, hey, I, multifamily, it's all that and everything, but it still has, It's. I still think it has a good runway. We're currently 600,000 units down in the U.S. and we still need 4 million housing units between now and 2035. So there's a need, right? So you can still make money or create a good investment with multifamily. Now those 600,000 units, you, you can't necessarily, you know, you can't just plop a unit, plop a complex down in Chicago or Detroit or Peoria, Illinois, you know, you got to pick the right places. So again, filter bought right. So if you pick the right area to build or you pick the right area to buy, most of us know where those are. It's, you know, Texas is the center of the universe, but Florida, the Sunbelt, Colorado, Idaho, there's a lot of really great places. So we have stayed the course. Our pencils are a little sharper than they were before. We had quite a big pipeline in Q1 of this year and didn't like the way the economy was going. And we, we squished that, that pipeline down. We canceled some deals just to make sure that we did the best of the best. But people need a place to live. If we go into some sort of recession, it will crimp everything. You know, people will get, instead of living by themselves, they'll get roommates. They'll move back with mom and dad. When you don't have a job, you don't rent apartments. That kind of stuff happens. So I think on the good side, we have plenty of demand for limited supply. That is going to take years 
to satisfy if if ever. That's a lot of units to get built. On the other side, really got to plan for worst case scenarios, do sensitivity tables, low leverage, low projected returns, and you know, hope that things are better than you project. You want to know how bad can things get and I can still keep my property because when times are bad, it's not fun to not distribute profits, but it is fun to keep your property and just tell your investors, hey, we're not going to distribute profit because we need everything to keep the property, but the property is holding itself up and the tenants are paying our loan down. And when things get good, that's when those properties just rocket out of the gate and, and make you a lot of profit. So that was me probably talking out of two sides of my mouth, but I still do like multifamily. I think everybody needs to keep their eyes open and not have blinders and always look at other asset classes. The multifamily is one of them that I think is a worthwhile thing to look at. For sure. No doubt about it. And now I appreciate you elaborating. Do you have any, I know it's, it's just predictions, right? But do you have any predictions for the real estate market over the next six to 12 months or, you know, maybe how these predictions have changed what you all are trying to buy or when to buy things like or sell? Yeah, my crystal balls remains cloudy, so I'm not smart enough to predict. But I had originally thought that give it 12 to 18 months and the, the Fed will start easing maybe that'll happen but again i that's i don't know how i don't know i don't know what's going to happen but i think there's going to be headwinds i think we could you know you listen to isaki and Bergdolman and a few people and they think we're maybe going into recession it's sort of that phase what 80 or 90 years 70 80 years between depressions and we're about due so i think that to expect anything remotely close to what we've had would be folly I think you need to really be conservative in your expectations. I think as an investor, you need to be conservative. And as a sponsor, you need to project conservatism to your investors. If you beat that, awesome. It's not fun to project high and produce low. So I I think we're in for some issues. You know, they're going to try to kick, they, whoever they are, are going to try to kick things down the road as long as possible. I don't know how long government can handle these interest rates because the debt clock is giant. It's trillions and trillions of dollars. So uh, that was a lot of blabber for, I think you need to stay in the, you need to stay in the market because that's when you know it'll change and you need to be really prudent on your underwriting and conservative in your expectations. I know you work with a lot, a number of investors now and through your mastermind and what kind of advice do you give for beginners who are looking to invest in commercial real estate, but you know, they do have the W2 or whatever. They're not looking to become an operator, but as they you know discover passive investing, into the syndications like ours or ones like you have, how do you advise them? What are some things that, hey, you know, they need to know as they get started? Yeah, you bet. I always tell everybody first, figure out why you're doing all this, you know, have a good reason why you're doing it, not just to have more money. There's that because times are going to be up and down. You got to, you got to want to be able to stay the course. And you got to get, get educated. Listen to your podcast, read some books. You can, I mean, it is so easy to listen to or read books now that, there's a limitless supply of information. And as you read general things, you'll find your niche, whatever you want to learn about. That's great. As you learn that, and as you listen to podcasts, you'll hear people that you connect with. And over time, you can find, you can find associations. One of the biggest things is to, is to get associated with people that are moving in the same direction you are, and hopefully people that are already where you want to be. Networking, right? Your network is your net worth. That's what Kiyosaki always says. And I totally, totally agree with that. So as you do all that, then you'll start getting deal flow. And, you know, if you've got money, 
deals are going to find you. Those are going to be good deals and bad deals. They'll both find you equally and they wear the same clothes often. So you want to be supported with a community that will help you evaluate these deals. Try not to be the lone ranger, have somebody, you know, if the listeners, if you get a deal, get Whitney to look at it. He's seen a jillion deals, get somebody to oversee it and say, you know, this is maybe a little rich for the sponsor. Or maybe they're expecting a little bit much or gee, this looks like a good deal because you know, if you're investing passively, you're investing in you're you're counting on somebody else's ethics, their network, their experience, and you're going to provide your capital so that the two of you, and they're going to provide their experience, you're going to make a profit. Be nice to it, somebody you can trust. Bernie Madoff had a lot of friends for 20 years, and so things didn't go so well. So you want to potentially invest with people that you know and trust that are friends of yours. They will have maybe invested with somebody else. So try to get in with sponsors that you that you know. I also suggest these days, maybe try to find one with some gray hair that maybe did maybe did investments prior to the Great Recession, because recessions, depressions, and bad times are awesome teachers. And a lot of times people that have been through that have a little, can see a little farther over the horizon than folks that have only seen good times. So, you know, be prudent. And, you know, if you're not sure and you've done all those things, bet small. If you bet small, you know, if you win, great, you'll win small. But if you lose, you'll lose small too. So once you get to, and then you start, you'll start knowing what's a good, good investment. So as your education grows, so can your investment and so will your passive income. Some great advice to say the least. You mentioned, Tom, about depending on their network, ethics, experience. Where do you put the most weight when you're looking to partner with an operator or invest, you know, passively? And maybe how you assess that a little bit. You know, honestly, I go to ethics first. So I want, if it's somebody I don't know, and usually I know them these days, but if it's somebody I didn't know, they would have to come from a really trusted, experienced friend because I don't mind losing money. Well, I don't like to lose money. I'm just pretty good at it, right? I've done it a bunch. But if I'm going to lose money, I want it to be the market and factors that we can't control. I don't want it to be a crook. That has happened to me. So I put ethics first. And then experience next. And then I look at the deal. I have a filter that I teach the folks in my in my masterminds. People, deals, money, structure, rules. And so, you know, if all those things, if most of those things fit up, they're good people, the deal's pretty good, structure is fair to both sides and everything fits right, then, then it's a good investment. So I just want to make sure it's somebody that's out there working with my money as if it was their money. Yeah. Love that. Very well said. I agree completely. It's the operator comes before the deal. <laughs> you know, getting to know them. And it doesn't matter how good the deal is if you're working with a crook, does it? <laughs> so, you can't do a good deal. What is it? Warren Buffett, you can't do a good deal with a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Well, as we come to a close on this segment of the show, what about anything else you would leave with passive investors as far as getting started or growing their portfolio passively or even managing the investments? Even somebody, maybe they've invested in a dozen deals. How do you advise after a while? It's like, how do I keep up with all these, right? How do I ensure what's happening is happening, what they said they were, you know, were going to do? How do you manage all of that now? Yeah. And, you know, I've mostly been on the sponsor side, but I, there's plenty of, I have plenty of passive investments as well. You know, I, you know, sometimes you get tired of being the general all the time. I just want to be a foot soldier. So I invest. It helps. I see all of it on my, I have a very involved financial statement that feeds into a one primary one. And I see them all there, but what a lot of folks do is just create a spreadsheet, you know, 
Tom's investment. Here's how much I invested. Here's the cash flow today. And you can, you know, you can lay it out the cash flow year by year. You lay out the terms of the cash flow. And here's Tom's deal. Here's Whitney's deal. Here's Joe's deal. Get them all in one place because it's it's nice when you start to compare. It gives you the ability to compare what's going on. And you might gravitate more to Whitney or you might gravitate more to Joe to do more deals with them. You just, you would like your money growing comfortably or you can sleep at night knowing that you got hopefully that whole list is good sponsors because you picked them well and you've really met some good people the returns will vary but yeah yeah i put them on a sheet and you know schedule a time once a month to just kind of look over everything and do a slightly deeper dive read your reports you know and people usually send out quarterly reports read those see what's going on you know i had one once where i'd get a we'd get a quarterly report and i started noticing that they were striping the parking lot and doing a lot of air conditioners. It was like one building that was getting new air conditioners every other quarter. So you kind of start picking up clues. I got out of that investment, by the way. So, you know, you, you don't want to be blind. You want to keep an eye on it, but you do want it to be passive. So, you know, maybe schedule a time once a month to just kind of look at it for an hour. Yeah, I think it's very wise. We spend a ton of time sending out monthly detailed updates, you know, to our investors. And often we'll get a question, what about this? I'm like, it was in the report. We just sent it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we try to put a ton of detail and there's a balance there, right? How much is too much where they don't want to look at it then, you know? But anyway, one thing I wanted to ask you too, just from your experience of investing passively, but also even on the general partner side, just preparing for that economic downturn, right? You know, as you're looking at projects, whether it's development, whether it's value added, you know, either way, short term, long term, how are you ensuring that you're prepared for a downturn or how are you ensuring that that general other general partner is prepared for a downturn? Maybe a couple of things you like to see or even that the passive investor listening could could know to look for to ask about. Yeah, on our side, we do sensitivity tables and look at how bad can it get, you know, flat rents and 80% occupancy or whatever. We'll do those numbers. And I want to see, again, I want to see somebody that's maybe been through a recession. I want to see that they're doing the same things. And so I like it when we started educating our investors like two years ago, that things are probably going to change guys. And, you know, the, the 10 preps are going to go to nine, eight, seven, six, that sort of thing, you know, be prepared, adjust your expectations. So that's what I'll look for. And communication. I feel pretty good when somebody says, Hey guys, you know, we see some, we see some times coming. Gee, we might, we might, might or might not be able to do distributions. I'd like communication. So I figure that somebody that keeps communicating isn't afraid to tell you bad news and sponsors should not be afraid to tell you bad news because it's going to happen and it's maybe not going to be their fault at all, but transparency helps. So I like transparent sponsors, conservative sponsors, Hopefully we're that as well. And, you know, you can't predict the future. All you can do is do the best you can. You want to have, you hope to have, you certainly want to have fixed debt. You don't want to count on appreciation, those sort of things. I could go through a bigger litany, but just somebody that realizes that all things don't always go up. Love that. It's transparency and communication is key. And it's not rocket science on that side, right? Right. Yeah, or you don't even have to be a surgeon to figure out you got to communicate, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I appreciate that. And yeah, it's so important. And I love that you can't be afraid to tell bad news. No. It's going to happen, right? There are so many things, even though as much as we have in reserves and, and plan for all these things, we still plan for things we don't know about, right? right. Have some cushion for things that well, we know we don't know everything, right? That's why the PPM says you might lose money. 
because it can happen. That's right. No doubt about it. Well, Tom, grateful to have you on the show again. And I'm looking forward to doing another segment with you. And we're going to dive into the type of loans that you're using and helping educate us a little bit or a lot probably on that type of loan. But man, thank you so much for diving in today into multifamily and how you're looking at that, even as a passive investor and how you're educating others, you know, as we're looking at sponsors and the investments and getting started and even managing those investments and being prepared for a downturn. Thank you again. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you. Just go to rich.life forward slash toolkit. That's where you can get, you can get to the website and get a hold of me and that'll get you a free gift. That'll, that'll get you some stuff that's maybe helped me over the past 30 years, create my real estate portfolio. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 